We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And on the telephone by ICRT's Southern Taiwan correspondent, Michael Smith. Hey there, everybody. Tonight we'll be discussing flooding in Kaohsiung and an absent mayor, another city mayor remaining rather coy about his 2020 bid, while also stepping up his attacks on the DPP and the KMT, Taiwan losing the rights to host an international figure skating event, more major delays over the third terminal at Taoyuan International Airport, and boys in skirts. But we'll begin with a cigarette smuggling scandal involving National Security Bureau agents and China Airlines employees that has become a bit of an embarrassment for the current and former governments. The sorry saga began on Monday when news broke that the National Security Bureau agents allegedly smuggled 9,800 cartons of cigarettes worth 6 million NT into Taiwan under cover of President Tsai Ing-wen's return from her Caribbean state visit. National Security Bureau Director General Peng Shengju tended his resignation while Zhang Jie, the chief aide-de-camp to the president, was demoted and will be transferred to another post in the immediate fallout from the scandal. The next day, the Taipei District District Prosecutor's Office questioned 10 people, eight of whom have been released on bail, but two NSB Special Service agents, one of whom accompanied President Tsai Ing-wen to the Caribbean, have been detained. News then broke that China Airlines employees were involved in the cigarette smuggling case, and then it came to light that airline staff and government employees had been using presidential flights as cover for smuggling operations since 2014. Now, the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office announced on Thursday that it had questioned a China Air Airlines employee who was apparently responsible for the sale of duty-free products in connection with the case. He's now been released on bail of 200,000 NT. And if that's not enough, well, new power party lawmaker Huang Guocheng says he believes more contraband was smuggled into Taiwan using the president's recent flight from Denver to Taoyuan International Airport as cover. So, Brian, bit of an embarrassment, but I mean, whose fault is it? There's an ongoing <laughs> argument at the moment going, we've obviously got the DPP supporters saying... Well, it's Ma Ying Zhou and the KMT's fault because it dates back to 2014. We've got the KMT going, no, it's not our fault. It's the DPP's fault. But surely it's the fault of both of them for not actually looking into this when they should have possibly been looking into this matter. I think that's right. Uh, I think there's this game of political volleyball you see of just trying to push the blame onto the other side. However, it's clear an issue that has gone back years under KMT and DPP administrations, and maybe even if the problem originates from under the period of the KMT, the DPP has not actually addressed the issue. I mean, reportedly, five trucks containing these cigarettes were following the uh, entourage on the way back um, from the airport. And so that, that seems like quite a large thing not to notice. And again, this is something like... Uh, two million cigarettes, actually, in these these uh, nine thousand eight hundred cartons. That is that is quite a lot. And how something an operation of this size gone unnoticed for such a long period of time? It's it's unclear to me. There's a uh, much digging, I think, to be done. Right. Uh, I'm interested in knowing uh, what they smuggled back from Denver. It's <laughs> an interesting, uh, uh, some interesting possibilities there. From the south, uh, the main thing that uh, erupted almost immediately after this uh, came out was just a possible blow to the Thai administration. And that, uh, those fears, at least from the more uh, green-leaning people, began to be lessened after it was discovered that uh, there's more than one administration. So uh, mostly, at least from our perspective down here in the south, which does skew 
view more towards a, a green view for the most part. The concern was for her reputation because she had, um, at least by most calculations, a rather successful trip uh, wandering around the States and uh, various allies. She looked uh, relatively strong by, by most accounts. She, uh, she seemed in control. So this scandal uh, derailing all of that uh, would have been uh, a, a, you know, uh, quite a blow, but it looks like she probably will be able to weather this because it's not uh, exactly on her watch, so to speak. Right, and Brian, will the chairman of China Airlines be able to weather it? Because, of course, there's calls for him to step down now. Um, that's right, and I think that points to how wide-ranging the scandal is, that there's National Security Bureau officials, reportedly also the National Security Council, uh, China Airlines as well is implicated in this because the, the cigarettes were stored in a warehouse. And then you have this pattern of, of uh, high-ranking officials, such as the president of China Air or uh, Peng Shenzhu, the uh, head of the National Security Bureau, having to resign for the actions of their their subordinates and to take responsibility. Even though it's, you know, it's the question is always: Were they aware of this and just turning a blind eye to it, or were they actively involved, or are they just doing this to take responsibility for something someone else did? But China Air is a is an airline that has enjoyed close ties with the government as a, one of Taiwan's major airlines, and so it is not surprising to me that it will also be caught up in this scandal. Um, as observed with, for example, labor actions regarding China Air, the government oftentimes intercedes because it does. It is an airline with close ties to the government, and it is a major airline. And so it just points to, I think, the, the nexus of involved actors between uh, the uh, National Security Bureau, China Air, between uh, security and the kind of airline industry. And I think it just points to a lot of the corruptions regarding uh, state or semi-state enterprises um, going all the way back to the authoritarian period and whether under DPP or KMT administrations, sometimes these, these issues have been around for a long time and, and just clearing up these people who have been in these uh, bureaucracies for so long and maybe are using that to benefit themselves, that's, that's quite difficult. Yeah. The only other interesting thing that I saw about this uh, scandal was that we, we've definitely been seeing some fake news, or at least attempts at fake news. We had uh, one report uh, directly claiming that the president's residence had become the goods distribution center that's been robustly uh, challenged by the, uh, by the administration. So uh, definitely, as uh, Brian noted earlier, both sides are trying to score political points off of this. But uh, the deeper we dig, the more we might find that both sides uh, end up getting hurt by this. Like of course, Brian, diff- other goods were brought in, according to Huang Guocheng. I mean, obviously, duty-free goods. Because, of course, mm, right. th- these goods weren't smuggled in in suitcases. They were basically pre-bought online by members of the entourage, for the sake of another word. And they were delivered to a warehouse at Taoyuan International Airport, a bonded warehouse, and they were illegally removed from the bonded warehouse. Uh, that's right, and that raises the question. Should not airlines have warning flags when a customer orders 2 million cigarettes, um, 9,800 cartons, <laughs> through the duty-free uh, catalog? And that, that, is, that, is a, that, that raises a lot of questions, and I think it is very possible. Um, cigarettes, cigarette smuggling is something that happens, uh, but there's also many other goods that can be sold in Taiwan and that you can order through the duty-free catalog, and in that way, getting uh, it's duty-free and cheaper, and you can resell it at a higher price and that kind of thing. They did announce today, uh, or was it yesterday, that... Uh, they will now be limiting each passenger to one carton of cigarettes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, like, like normal people. That's right. Right, um, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wonder if that should have been instituted much earlier. Um, this could have been an issue not regarding just uh, presidential trips, but also just... Uh, I mean, I mean, it is it is an issue then if you could just order such large amounts and and that's a way to to make money. But do you think it could, Michael? Do you think it could come out in sort of the coming weeks or the coming months that certain relatives of certain government officials are maybe own a Michael Kors bag or some rather expensive perfume that came through this way. 
I would, uh, yeah, if I'd had to put money on it, I would say probably I would bet in the affirmative, yeah. Um, this is the kind of thing that just smells exactly like, uh, as Brian noted earlier, something that probably goes all the way back to, who knows, you know, Zhang Jingguo, Zhang Kai-shek, all the way back to people flying around in the very early days, smuggling back then. I think it goes straight back to the founding of, of, of uh, modern Taiwan. Right, we'll move on from that matter, and we'll look at the news from Kaohsiung, which was inundated with record-breaking rainfall and flooding late last week, which resulted in trouble for Kaohsiung Mayor and KMT 2020 contender Han Guo-yu, who faced a rather angry backlash after he was filmed enjoying a nice dinner and drinks with friends as parts of the city were, well, underwater. Now, reports said that Han went missing for 20 hours as the heavy rains lashed the city, and he also failed to attend a meeting at the city's emergency command centre amid reports that he was a bit too hungover from the evening before to make it there. He then climbed a tree in front of the television cameras to check on mosquito breeding grounds following the heavy rain to further scorn. Now, it was the first time the city has faced an emergency situation underhand and since he became mayor and his handling of the matter doesn't look good to neutral observers, especially as his opponent in last November's mayoral election, Chen Chi Mai, was actually out in the rain checking on city infrastructure. So, Michael, Chen Chi Mai checking on infrastructure, doing the mayor's job, one could argue. Right, he was there uh, very, very shortly after the uh, the flooding, which uh, affected as many as 283 locations throughout Kaohsiung City. Pingdong saw about 15, and there was only one in Tainan, so it really was uh, Kaohsiung. And just in the downtown area that I was in on that day, we flooded, and uh, it was up to the point where motorcycles were beginning to uh, be not be able to drive through the water, and it was it was you know reasonably uh, high levels of, of flood water. So you saw images very soon of, of in the newspaper and and on television of Chen Shi Mai, the former candidate for mayor, walking around and seeing, seeming to be very knowledgeable about drainage systems and exactly which lever to pull for what uh, intake valve and this, that, and the other, and giving instructions that were just very in command, and he seemed to, to really know his stuff. So for those who had either voted for Chen in the last election or who had perhaps uh, at the last moment decided to vote for Han because of uh, uh, Chen's perceived being a, a bit of a bore or they wanted a change, those people definitely uh, either regretted their decision or felt vindicated that Chen would have made uh, a better mayor because he seems to really have a, a deep knowledge of the city and what to do in emergency situations such as this. Now, according to the Han administration, the dinner that he was attending, he had scheduled that months in advance, and uh, there wasn't a way of getting out of it. It was something uh, important, and uh, there is no proof that he actually uh, got inebriated or hung over or anything like that. And they simply said that the next morning he had other things to inspect and had to talk about other things related to disasters, so he sent his deputy mayor to the meeting instead. But, yeah, the optics, if nothing else, did not look really good and sort of painted Han as uh, maybe not indifferent, but certainly not really well-versed in what uh, he probably should be more versed in. So the next couple of days were damage control for him, and that's when we get this tree-climbing incident. He uh, just on the spur of the moment with the cameras there, jumps up uh, one of those banyan trees and climbs roughly maybe up as high as two stories and says, hey, there's water in the tree up here in this hole. Mosquitoes could breed in here. So if you're like me, um, you immediately went and you Googled, do mosquitoes breed in trees, right? And it turns out they do if it's much lower to the ground. If you've got a big uh, hole in a tree stump or something, yeah, that might be a, a decent mosquito breeding area. But... 
if it's higher up, uh, especially at the two-story level, that would be a little bit windy and, you know, perhaps not such a, a good spot. So he ordered uh, workers to come in and immediately fill in these holes in the trees with environmentally friendly products, and he made sure to say that very loud in front of the cameras. Uh, but it also led a lot of us to wonder, okay, so you climb this one tree. Kaohsiung has the largest land area of any of the major uh, cities of, of, of Taiwan, as an incorporated cities. So we obviously have a lot of trees. Are we going to go around and inspect each and every tree? Is that feasible? So what he was doing for those who are not in his camp was very much theatrical and very much a show. However, I wouldn't uh, say that it didn't have the desired effect, because when you talk to the people or you watch the images of, of news reporters talking to people who watch him climb the tree, it was overwhelmingly positive, at least what uh, we saw in the media. People were commenting on his vitality and his energy and the fact that he could do this climb and no other Taiwanese politician could do this. And wow, it seemed... So if, if it was uh, all a show, uh, perhaps it may have been more effective than uh, the detractors want. So people put all these memes online. You've got him climbing the 101 in some King Kong uh, pose. You've got this meme and that thing and this Internet thing. But if you're a committed Han fan, um, those things don't affect you because he's getting mocked by the Internet and by various uh, elites, so to speak, on a daily basis. And it seems to be very much sort of out of the Trump playbook where, uh, you know, the, the elites are, are mocking me. They don't understand uh, that my heart's in the right place, if nothing else. And that's what, kind of what we're hearing from, from his supporters down here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, him climbing a tree will actually have a, a negative effect. In fact, it might uh, it might even have a positive one. And I think that's right. Um, it is actually quite funny, but sometimes you have famous stories of politicians climbing trees, and it's usually uh, touted as a sign of their being unorthodox or full of energy and that kind of thing. There's a famous story about Teddy Roosevelt spontaneously climbing a tree, and his handlers, his government handlers, being very worried about him, but him shoving it off. And when I learned this in high school history class, it was in context of talking about how unorthodox a president he was. And so I think Han fans will actually look at this as a sign that Han is doing things, that he's willing to be hands-on and uh, climb trees and investigate and so forth, whereas Han detractors in their political extra chamber will be creating memes making fun of the fact that he climbed a tree and uh, it looks funny and it looks funny on the cameras. Um, when you turn things around, then, I think that it's also fair to say that Chen Mai, despite being very knowledgeable about Kaohsiung, it is also, uh, probably also did realize that this would have an effect on optics to be out there in the rain and being photographed doing that, and so that would have an effect on Han. Um, that being said, I think for Han, it is oftentimes, maybe for many people, I think it is too little too late. And Han already has a reputation for taking random days off in Kaohsiung and drinking and uh, <laughs> live streaming while drinking, and so that that does, sometimes doesn't um, that doesn't help him too much there. I, I think that another important aspect, and I completely agree with your analysis there, Brian. But another important aspect is small things that uh, I'm seeing and other uh, observers are seeing in the city that are starting to grate on the people of Kaohsiung. And now one example would be bus stops. There were supposed to be all these LED set up, uh, a bus stop set up that would have like the exact time when the bus is coming. You know, I think Taipei and most uh, many other cities in Taiwan have, have these, these systems. That was supposed to be done, but if you go out on the streets, you'll find a lot of the bus stops are still just cardboard or things that are not quite uh, finished yet. 
there was supposed to be a new entrance to the Children's Museum on this road that uh, has been under construction since early this year. It was supposed to be finished in July, and now if you go over there, you'll see the sign says that the, the construction date has been pushed back to November. The front of the Art Museum, which is a, a popular place for people to exercise and uh, to visit uh, uh, exhibitions, obviously, that's been closed off, and it, it's just suddenly construction there. It took them a few days to put up signs explaining what they're doing. So in general, there's a feeling, and even even in the graffiti, you, you if you walk around to certain of the light rail stations that have still not opened, although they've been finished and they're just sitting there, um, you'll see graffiti that is uh, very unkind, to put it mildly, to to the mayor. So, and uh, another interesting thing I noticed recently was even young children at the park. So, back just before his election, I remember commenting at some uh, forum that we held that children in Kaohsiung were like chanting his name and they were chanting his uh, his nickname, this uh, Korea fish <laughs> that seemed popular for a while there. And when you've got six, seven, eight-year-old children making comments like this, you know this is not their political opinion. This is what they're hearing from their parents or their grandparents or whoever. So there was a swell of excitement back at that time, and the children had gotten caught up in it. And now at the playground, if somebody somehow mentions a name or teachers have told me in classes they're hearing their kids make really derogatory comments about the mayor, and again, these are not things that they themselves are coming up with. It's it's stuff that they're hearing. So there's a lot of little things that are just not getting done, or they're at least from an optics view. It just seems like Kaohsiung isn't moving forward as fast as was promised, and um, when the mayor doesn't show up for a meeting, that does make a lot of people go, what's going on? Then we also have the famous comment from uh, uh, Susan Tang, who said, uh, you know, well, all the other cities in Taiwan are doing better with flood prevention because they have a mayor, and uh, that, uh, of course, made Han quite upset, but uh, it made uh, his detractors uh, smirk and find that uh, quite uh, amusing. Right. Now we'll look at another possible, possible 2020 candidate, which we haven't looked at before, and that being Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jir, who this week said he could announce his bid to run for the presidency in next January's election by early September at the latest. Now, according to the mayor, the time frame is based on the need to gather the required number of signatures to run as an independent candidate by the Central Election Commission's September 17th deadline for independent candidates to submit their petitions. Kerr has been coy about his 2020 intentions for months now, but that hasn't stopped him from slamming both the DPP and the KMT, and the KMT, of course, and the DPP have both included him in their presidential primary polls when they selected their representative candidates for next year's ballot. However, though, while he's been coy about certain things... His displeasure about the DPP and the KMT, Brian, has been rather vocal. Um, that's right, and I think he is lashing out because of the fact that he has been politically marginalized to some extent. In general, I think that if he really did have very serious presidential ambitions, he should have announced his candidacy much earlier. Instead, he allowed candidates that are somewhat similar in political styles, in stylings, such as Han Goryu or Terry Goh even, to eat up his pie in some sense, so that he should have really announced much earlier that he intended to run and then people take him much more seriously. Instead, now I think he is waiting uh, until September to see what will happen if there will be any shifts and uh, taking advantage of the strategic ambiguity of not announcing whether he is going to run or not to run. And I think that he is bitter against Tsai because Tsai, he views Tsai as not endorsing him, of not supporting him because of the fact that they ran another candidate against him in 20, uh, 2018. 
Um, and he even accuses the DPP of, of using him. They even, even accuses uh, the DPP of hiring Ethan Gutman, the author who published about organ harvesting from the Falun Gong with the accusation that Ko may have been implicated in this. He accused the DPP of hiring him to do this, which doesn't actually make a lot of sense timeline-wise because as such allegations emerge in 2014 when the DPP endorsed him. And he's also bitter against the DPP for hiring Ling Feifan, uh, the former Sun Fire Movement leader who published an editorial critical of him in The Diplomat for his kind of pro-China shift. Uh, he also does criticize the KMT uh, regarding, for example, their primary process or uh, shifts back and forth by the KMT. But um, he has actually, I think, harder on criticisms against the DPP because of the fact that if he does run, this would be more splitting, I think, of the pan-green vote. And uh, he may actually have just more ire towards the pan-green camp at this point. Um, in terms of some of his political affiliations now drifting more towards the pan-blue camp. Um, perhaps he does view the pan-blue camp as more supportive. There talk of him potentially running as a uh, running mate with, for example, James Song or even Terry Goh or another of, a number of other possible matchups. And Michael, I mean, obviously, Taipei Kerwinger, Taipei Mayor, obviously popular with young people in Taipei because that's his base. Young people support him. There's no argument about that. But how, how is he viewed in Kaohsiung, where, of course, he'll also have to woo voters? Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, you were talking about youth support, and back when Han won his uh, election, uh, he did actually manage to eke out a, a, a decent amount of support from, from young people. But that seems to be eroding, according to certain polls. And a lot of the young people that you talk to down here will tell you that, yeah, Mayor Ko would be their choice because of his perceived um, either honesty or straightforwardness or lack of... Uh, uh, bull, uh, this, this sort of thing, right? So, yes, he, he certainly does have a, a fan base down here. He was in Tainan, I think, a week or so ago and visited a, a famous temple, and during that time, people came up to him and, you know, screamed, Zong Tong Hao, and all of this, and he certainly has a, a fan base across the, the south of Taiwan. But, uh, as I'm sure Brian would uh, uh, agree, his numbers are really just not there, right? So, I mean, I personally would be quite surprised if he does decide to make a run because he doesn't strike me as, as a person who's not pragmatic and realistic. And he's also sort of walked back some of the stuff he said, uh, some of the criticisms he's made. He said he was too harsh in some of his criticisms. He also said that he needs to remember what his father told him before, that if you say something nasty about someone, they, they could remember it for a lifetime. Well, you'll forget it the next day. So he sort of walked that back slightly. And uh, I, don't, I just don't know why you would want to run in a year where you're pretty much destined not to win when you could possibly consolidate and perhaps go for it next time. And I also agree with Brian that if he really was serious about this, he should have done it a lot earlier because that would have affected the calculations on both sides, on the blue and the green, as to who would have been stronger after they do all the math and divide it by three, right? And Brian, do you, we've had hand rallies attracting hundreds of thousands of people, of course, in recent weeks. Do we see Kerr rallies attracting hundreds of thousands of people? Um, that's a very interesting thing, actually, because I agree. Uh, even in Taipei, it's uh, uh, visible that Han, young support for Han, youth support for Han, has receded. On the other hand, I'm not so sure about for Ke. At the same time, Ke is not exactly going around holding mass rallies. He's not touring Taiwan to hold uh, mass rallies or anything like that, the way Han is. And so it, it's a question. He didn't declare a rally in Taipei, really, despite this being his home turf. 
And that also raises the question, does he actually prepare to run? Um, I think that whatever polling says, too, it's also important to keep in mind, Ke has less financial resources than a party, a party-backed candidate from either the KMT or the DPP, and he has no mobilization network across all of Taiwan to really uh, support him if he does run. And so the question is, does, does he decide to be a spoiler and throw his hat into the race for that purpose? Or he could potentially be trying to secure some kind of political benefit from either political camp um, by threatening to run, and perhaps they'll give him some kind of kickback or political support in the future for not running. Um, but it is a question then, because then he maybe should be doing this campaigning if he is actually serious about a run, similar to Han. And not long ago, he went through an election where he barely scraped through in a three-way race. So, I mean, that must be in his calculations, right? He, uh, he very nearly did not win re-election. Mm, that's right. Though I think what was very interesting is that uh, that showed strong youth support for Ko. And compared to the rallies by Pasui Yao or Ding Shouzhong, he had much, his, his primary, uh, the people staying out late to watch the election count were almost all young people. And so I think that's, that's a, it's a question, has that support receded in the meantime, even if perhaps they are outnumbered as a demographic by older voters and so forth? Right, now we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. Now, the island lost another international sporting event this week, likely due to pressure from China. Now, the Chinese Taipei Skating Union said that Taiwan has had the rights to host the 2019 Asian Open Figure Skating Classic in Taipei Revoked, less than four months before the tournament was actually scheduled to take place. And the island's skating body says it received a notification from the International Skating Union saying that its right to host the event had been revoked on the grounds that the current international situation is unsuitable for Taiwan to host such an event. Now, the Sports Administration this Wednesday requested that the Chinese Taipei Skating Union appeal the ruling and said that it's willing to send representatives to the Luzon-based skating body to request it revise its decision. Now, Education Minister Pan Wenzhong has said that it's likely the decision to yank the event from Taipei was due to political interference, without naming any specific country from where said pressure could have come from. However, there's also controversy in regards when the Chinese Taipei Skating Union first found out about the event being revoked, Brian. That's right. And the question is, actually, did the Chinese Taipei Skating Union push back against this, or did it actually just agree to reschedule the, the event and hold it in somewhere else? And the question is then, did it do enough uh, in the face of, in order to resist Chinese pressure, or did it just acquiesce right away? Which is thought would set a very negative precedent for this uh, kind of thing happening again in the future, particularly after the East Asian Youth Games were uh, previously pulled away from Taiwan and rescheduled uh, to be held elsewhere last year. Um, this time, the, the notice is, is much shorter with just four months, whereas I think uh, last year, was, it, there was one year notice. It was in 2018 for warning uh, this, this event being changed location for an event that would have taken place in 2019, whereas now and this, is, this event was originally scheduled to take place in late October to early November. Um, and it's being rescheduled to take place in China, in Guangdong. Um, there's also questions about whether this was influenced by current events in Hong Kong, uh, with the thought that holding such an event in Taiwan right now would be too politically sensitive. Um, and there's also issues about uh, skating events in Hong Kong that were scheduled, possibly because of the current protests in Hong Kong against the extradition bill that China is pushing for. Um, and it is a sign, too, that the event is literally scheduled uh, from being held in Taiwan originally, that being the original plan, to being held in China. And that definitely does not uh, exactly sit well with the government, I believe. And it's being hosted by the Hong Kong Skating Union. Which is also quite interesting, um, because then that raises all these uh, questions regarding uh, Hong Kong's relation to China, Taiwan's relation to China. Uh, and 
it's it, it, having a Hong Kong event, an event organized by a Hong Kong organization within China, is itself quite politically significant. I think. We have the, uh, the the training center for a lot of the Chinese Taipei uh, various sports uh, teams down here in Kaohsiung, right? There's a very large uh, training center that's being expanded even now. And uh, I spoke to a coach who didn't want to be identified uh, publicly, but his take on it was that this is uh, basically the new reality and that uh, unless some sort of accommodation is reached with China and uh, what he hinted at was uh, basically the acceptance of the 92 consensus, whatever that means to each individual person, uh, that we're going to see a lot more of this because China is, they need to put the screws on somewhere and this is one of the most gentle places where they could do so in the sports so world and this sort of thing. So it, uh, it makes sense as, uh, as just one more of these uh, small steps. And it, it, uh, it also seems to be, again, just a, a, a trickle of water, of, of things that, that China's doing that no one really pays all that much attention to, but it does set a precedent. So even just Last week or so, I was noticing that on CNN, uh, Taipei is not listed in the weather as Taipei, but it's listed as Taipei City. And I wondered about it. I'm like, why, why would this be? I sent out an email, couldn't get a response. But then the, the other cities uh, in the world are all, they don't have the word city except for Mexico City. And that's because you don't want to confuse it with the country of Mexico. So even something small like that, it seems like there, an argument could be made that there's even pressure in something as, as, as small and uh, tiny as this. So, yeah, um, perhaps this is just a new normal, as, as, as the, the source noted. But, Mika, Brian, could this backfire on Beijing, or do you think the 2019 International Skating Classic was just is not important enough for it to make a dent internationally? I mean, a majority of people aren't really going to care about this event. I think so, because it would be very rare for a major sporting event that would cause such a... That the international community normally pays attention to uh, to take place in Taiwan to begin with, much less for it to be then rescheduled and some take place somewhere else because of mm. Chinese pressure. And so that is one of the issues. And that's why I think, for example, the university in Taipei in 2017 was such a big deal because although I also don't think that was an event that most members of the international community pay attention to, it is significantly at a larger scale than a lot of these other events that Taiwan takes pride in being able to host uh, in spite of Chinese pressure. Um, I do also think that that might be right, that this might just be the new normal, um, because last year with the rescheduling of the uh, East Asian Youth Games, that was thought because uh, to be retaliation for the referendum on hold, uh, on what name Taiwan should participate in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics under. Mm. However, this would suggest that it's that this tendency will continue, regardless of the fact that there is no referendum on such issues. Um, that this will just be the this will be a continued way for China to slowly and gradually erode at Taiwan's international space, no matter how minor. It is still something that will pressure the government. Um, it will something still come up as a news item like this, and as a sign of uh, China's ability to influence Taiwan and the amount of space it has into the international world. Right, moving on now, the Taoyuan International Airport Corporation this week announced that the airport's third terminal is likely to be delayed. Now, the issue centers on concern that construction companies are rather reluctant to bid on the contract for the terminal due to the price being offered, and also the delay means that its completion is unlikely to meet the already revised deadline of 2023. Now, Airport Corporation Chairman Wang Mingde said this week that unless adjustments are made to the original design, construction will unlikely 
move forward. Now, the tender for the main building has failed three times due to the lack of bidders and the Ministry of Transport is warning that the problems are unlikely to be solved in the near future because British architectural company Richard Sturk Harbour and Partners is simply refusing to make any changes to its design. Now, that company was chosen in November of 2015 as the architects for the Terminal 3 project, which was to increase the airport's passenger capacity by up to 20 million people a year. Work sort of began on the project in 2017, but if you've been to the airport recently, there's a whole lot of nothing there but just empty space where this new terminal should go. So, Brian, obviously bit of a problem for everybody there. The, more, the government wants more people to transit in Taiwan, become a transport hub for the Asia-Pacific and global region. But without a third terminal, this is unlikely to happen. And that's right. Concerns are that the airport is uh, sees too many flights with too little terminals, uh, that the infrastructure is old. This is a 40-year-old airport. Um, and it's also just not issues of constructing a new terminal. There are issues with existing terminals. Uh, just earlier this month, there was an issue with uh, ceiling tiles falling from Terminal 2 in Taiwan Airport, which... Uh, could have resulted in, a, in, in something bad happening to some poor person walking underneath. Luckily, that did not happen. Um, and I think that also, in general, with infrastructure in Taiwan, you always see these kind of delays and, and issues with the construction a company or the plans and so forth. And the, unfortunately, the terminal, which is uh, for the Taiwan International Airport, the main international airport for Taiwan, you see these issues at a, a, at a very high level, and this will not make Taiwan look too good. Uh, just think about the fact that the airport MRT was delayed for so long, or even just the regular MRT in tai, uh, Taipei, or just the kind of debacle with the Taipei Dome, in which the dome is still in a half-unfinished state, and there are issues with the original uh, construction company that was supposed to build it, and the issues about whether to change design or not, uh, whether to go with a different company, and that kind of thing. And I, I wonder if the, the airport will also become something similar to that. So, Michael, do you think it could become a white elephant? Because in most countries, obviously London, Heathrow Airport, they want to expand Heathrow Airport, but it's, it's not the cost of it that's stopping that. It's local residents that don't want it expanded. But in Taiwan, it's the cost of the project that's stopping it. Right, and uh, I mean, I'd, I'd need to talk to uh, more experts on it to, to see long-term trends. But it, uh, the the idea of, of of do we do we even need this uh, airport? Do is is it likely that uh, the, these goals or these passenger numbers are going to rise to to levels that, that really require it, or uh, perhaps just a total refurbishment of what we have uh, currently would be enough? We're seeing this down in Kaohsiung, where the current mayor has uh, proposed setting up another massive airport in the city somewhere and he hasn't been specific about where that would be some people are talking about perhaps over the border uh, over the river in Pingdong there's a lot of land over there in fact there's an old airport over there that's not really being utilized but uh, do we need that is like a question that we're hearing down here and uh, that includes other projects as well such as the high speed rail being extended to Pingdong and all of this so uh, yeah the, the the need needs to be uh, first and foremost uh, at least as, as that's how i see um, and it's also controversial regarding the construction around the airport, the notion of building aerotropolis as a phrase in that area, um, with the development of the new terminal and so forth. That has been met with protests by local residents who right. do not view this as uh, necessary. And so that will come up as an issue. But even then, whether or not they can even just finish the structure, uh, irregardless of, of what the views of the local residents are, is also in itself a question. And so there's quite a lot of uncertainty here. Um, I think this could potentially cause an issue for uh, Taoyuan Mayor Chang Wen-san in the future, who, and he is, he is touted as a rising star within the DPP, someone that could potentially even be a presidential candidate in the future. And so uh, it, it's a question then, this, this, this project will eventually, will inevitably be tied to his reputation in that sense because of the fact that it takes place under his jurisdiction. I think most people have forgotten all about the Airtropolis. <laughs> That's right. Lots of talk about an Airtropolis several years ago, and then it just sort of disappeared.
Yeah, yeah. surprising. Um, despite the fact that local activists are still active around the issue, it's certainly receiving much less discussion now. Anyway, before we go this week, male students at a new Taipei Banqiao Senior High School will be allowed to wear skirts to school from the next semester in September. Now, the school says the move is aimed at promoting gender equality and comes after school authorities decided last month to scrap a regulation regarding student dress codes, which originally stipulated that male students could only wear pants to school. Now, a school member says the decision was made not to encourage male students to wear skirts, but to create a gender-equal campus and show more respect to students' choices. Female students, though, can continue to wear either skirts or pants to school. Now, this whole thing comes two months after the same school made international news for holding a week-long student-initiated men-wearing-skirts event with the aim of breaking gender stereotypes and underlining the personal freedom of choice. So, Michael, there you go. Um, a school where boys can wear skirts too. Well, we, we're seeing just a, I see it as a natural evolution of the, the many changes in school uh, requirements that uh, have taken place over the past, you know, I don't know, perhaps 20 or even 30 years. So, I mean, back when I first came to Taiwan, you were much more militaristic. The students had specific haircut styles that were allowed, uh, or jewelry in, in for girls was limited. It was very, very rigid. And then it started loosening up more and more, even for uh, the younger kids, uh, the uniform policy, at least down here in Kaohsiung now, is they wear it twice a uh, week for various uh, school events or for uh, sports meets or stuff like that, but for the rest of the time you, you wear your own clothes. So we're seeing a gradual relaxation of these sort of authoritarian uh, rules that go back to a long, long time ago, possibly even like the Japanese era. And uh, this particular one is just, you know, it, it, it's, it's easy to, to perhaps make light of it and find it a little bit funny or silly or whatever, but it does have a certain logic and freedom to it that uh, is refreshing. And uh, I had a friend in, in Taiwan the, uh, the other week who saw that, uh, the other day who saw that news, and they thought it was a, a very positive step forward, you know, coming on the back of same-sex marriage and all of this, just a bit more tolerance. But uh, I had to point out to the friend that this is one school in Banqiao, and uh, if you tried to wear a skirt to a, uh, a high school in Kaohsiung, I don't think that would go down at all. Of course, Brian, this is going to have detractors, to, to use a polite word. Um, that's right. I think that uh, some of the anti-gay groups will perhaps view this as another attempt by the Tsai administration to encourage tolerance towards homosexuality, which they disapprove of, uh, despite the fact that this was actually originally initiated by students uh, as a campaign in May, and they initiated themselves uh, for a week, and they got some teachers to join in as well. This will be viewed as the Tsai administration, again, just undermining the basic fabric of society, the family, the heterosexual family, and mm. so forth. Um, it's actually quite interesting because I think this is actually, in truth, it is an outgrowth of the Tsai administration's initiatives. Um, in 2016, while campaigning, Tsai did say that she hoped to make it so the dress code in high schools would allow female students to wear both skirts or pants, um, depending on what, whatever they wanted. And so then now you see this kind of natural outgrowth uh, four years, three or four years later, with male students uh, also demanding the same right. And that is that is quite interesting to me. Um, so it is actually, I think, an outgrowth of uh, Tsai administration policies aimed at creating a more diverse and inclusive society. But the Thai administration's tractors for that will also criticize Thai for that reason. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and uh, especially in the South here, where we are uh, significantly more conservative, actually, on these social issues. Uh, it's not going to go down very well at all, and uh, we'll, we'll see whether or not the uh, KMT uh, decides to weaponize it in the upcoming election.
And I think it's also very possible that high schools in other uh, parts of Taiwan will also initiate similar campaigns. Uh, young people, a lot of younger people, are actually quite on board with the idea, and it is a. Uh, usually, when there's this kind of success story in one school, it does spread. And so, uh, this did does take place in in northern Taiwan in Banqiao, but uh, it has potential to spread to other parts of Taiwan. I think it just probably will lead to resistance from local parents groups and that kind of thing. But what about the abolition of school uniforms? I mean, obviously, school uniforms were theoretically introduced so everyone was the same. Because obviously the rich kids would wear rich clothing and the poor kids would stand out because they'd have poor colour clothing, Michael. Right. Well, I mean, that's at least what some people will argue, and then uh, other people feel that uh, it's just a, a method of mind control. And uh, um, so it, it really depends on where you're coming from on this one. But uh, you know, we we talk about this all the time, at least uh, in, in teaching circles or in educational debates about uh, how to encourage creative thinking in young people, how to get young people in Taiwan to be more engaged and active. And here's a case where students are asking a simple question. If it's okay for X, why is it not okay for Y if these X and Y are equal, right? And these sort of questions uh, can be taken quite a bit further, you know, then you, 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 the, the next logical question can be why, why would uh, other things be allowed? So, yeah, um, as Brian noted, it's, uh, it's organically created by students, right? So uh, we should probably see uh, qu quite a bit of other schools following and perhaps trying to take it to uh, another level. And abolishing school uniforms would be one of them. That's certainly been debated now for at least 20 years. And that's where we'll leave it here, here on Taiwan This Week, This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Brian Hugh. Good night. And on the telephone by Michael Smith. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin. Phipps, and don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.